0: the reality of life is that sometimes you're really engaged and you're really plugged in and you're really strong and you're really going spiritually and then sometimes you just ain't feeling it. And I know that may not be proper grammar, but I think it really defines what we're talking about this morning. I want you to imagine for me that you live a long time ago. In fact, you live back before Jesus Christ came on this earth. The date is 536 B.C. You live in Jerusalem. The temple dominates the city. As you can see in this picture, the temple was huge in this city. It dominated everything. Every morning when you got up and you walked out of your house, you look up and you see the temple. Every morning, when you pull back the curtains on your bedroom window, you see the temple. The temple was the center of everything for the Jewish people. And for you, raised as a Jew in Jerusalem in 536 BC, this temple stands for you as a visible reminder every day that Jesus, Christ, well, not Jesus Christ, but God the Father is your God. And you are His chosen people. It's tremendous comfort. No matter what you do in the day when you come walking home and you walk past these great stone walls of the temple, you're reminded that no matter what happened today, God is here. God is with me. God is my God, and He's not the God of all these heathen nations around, but He is my God, and He is with me every day. And what a constant, sturdy reminder that would be. You know, they would take a lot of comfort in that, wouldn't you? We, we have things that give us reminders, don't we? I wear a wedding rings. You know, when I notice that, I wear I've worn it so much that I don't notice it a lot nowadays. It's just a part of me. But when I notice it, you know what it reminds me of? Is I've got someone. I've got someone that's just she's there for me. She's always committed to me. What a reminder that is. This to them was that reminder. But things have changed. Things are changing. You see there's a heathen nation across the desert the nation of Babylon and they have a mighty army and they are spreading their power and they are conquering peoples and they have come across the across this desert to Jerusalem and when they get to Jerusalem they are not friendly when they get to Jerusalem, they lay siege to the city of Jerusalem and they destroy the city of Jerusalem. They destroy the walls. They destroy the city. They destroy the people. And they destroy the temple of God and they take the gold and the the holy items that are in that temple and they load them in their wagon and they take them back to the king of Babylon. Babylon and he has conquered. Not only that, but they took with them a whole bunch of servants, a whole bunch of slaves, prisoners of war. They came in and they captured and they captured a bunch of people and now they haul them all the way back across this desert to this place called Babylon. And I want you to know Babylon was not where you wanted to be if you were a Jewish person. Your temple has been destroyed. Your nation exists no more. You are captive by a pagan, heathen, foreign dominated country. And you're a slave. It's at this moment that the psalmist David wrote about when he wrote in the book of Psalms these words. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it, for there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. But how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? So they've been captured and they've been taken. And here they are by the rivers of Babylon. And the captors say, Hey, sing us a song about Zion. Now you know what Zion was. Zion was Jerusalem. That they just destroyed. They said, Sing us a song about Zion. And he says, How can we, how can we sing the song of God in this foreign land? Look at what's going on here. By the rivers of Babylon. Here in Psalm 137, He is talking about this time when they sat down by this river. Look at that. And that's a picture of the river of Babylon. Do you know what Babylon means? Literally, the word Babylon means Confusion. The Tower of Babel where God confused their languages? Literally, the word Babylon means confusion. So when he says, we looked out and we were sitting down by the river of Babylon, what he's saying is we're sitting by the waters of confusion. Their life was confused at that moment. They had come from peace. They would come from Jerusalem. Do you know what the word Jerusalem means? Peace. And they had come from peace to confusion in just that long you know what that's like don't you you've done that in your life do you remember getting the phone call that you went from peace to confusion just one MRI just one pain that you go to see the doctor about just one late night bang on the door just one siren and it all changed do you remember that and you know, when that happens, all of a sudden, the peace that you had yesterday, you know, you can't put those blinders back on. They say ignorance is bliss, and when those blinders are pulled off, and your life is turned upside down, you can't go back. And here you sit by these rivers of confusion in your life. And you know what they did? It says, there we sat down, and yea, we Wept. Said I, we just sat down and we cried. Have you done that? I have. You just sit down and you weep because your life is turned upside down as you knew it before. Oh, before you had that peace and you could remember, you could think back to that time where God was there and His presence were there and you were assured that He loved you and everything was going good and now, now you just feel like you're abandoned. You feel like you've been lost. You know, these stone walls reassured them of God's presence. But part of their problem was they didn't understand God. You know, the Jewish people believed that God dwelt in the temple at what they called the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. But the reality was, and God did dwell there, but the reality is that God was by these rivers just like He was back in Jerusalem, wasn't He? You know, we talk about God being everywhere, right? That God is everywhere. You've heard that talked about a lot. We call it... omnipresence, right? That God is everywhere. And I think when we think about that, sometimes we misunderstand that. We think, you even hear it in our prayers. We say, God, you know, be care, be with uh, brother so-and-so that's in the hospital, you know, and, and while you're there, check on sister so-and-so too. And, and on the way back, Swing by and check on Mama. She hadn't been doing too well. It's almost like we send God off on all these little errands because He can go everywhere and do everything for us. And that's not the biblical view. The biblical view is that everything is in the presence of God. Not that God is everywhere, but everyone and everything is in His presence all the time. You see, the truth is that the heavens can't contain God. The earth is His footstool. God did not live in Jerusalem in that temple. And they didn't understand that. They thought God was back there and now that's destroyed and here we sit all by ourselves. But the truth is, the truth is that God is everywhere. But we are an emotionally driven people and when we can't see evidence of that, sometimes we feel like God is just not on our radar or we're not on His radar screen. We look at the confusion that they faced. Sometimes you feel like, you know, God, God, hey, it's me down here, remember? I'm having a problem here and, and, you know, I don't see your help. I need some help here. You've forgotten about me. You're not not responding to my questions. Not responding to my help. You know, we sing songs about every day is sweeter with Jesus. Songs like that, right? You know, those make nice songs, but they're just not true. Are they? I mean, if every day is sweeter with Jesus, you're doing something wrong, aren't you? <laughs> because every day doesn't get sweeter. Some days, in the words of the immortal John Denver, some days are diamonds and some days are stones. I mean, some days are not sweeter days. Some days are not better days. Some days are very hard and painful and difficult days. And some days we can feel abandoned by God. We can feel like He's just not active and working in our lives. I know many of us have very few of those days, but some of us have a lot of those days. You know what they did? They remembered Zion, and the Bible says that when they did that, they hung their harps upon the willows in the midst of it. Now that's a weird phrase, isn't it? Here they are, picture them, slaves wandering through this desert, coming to this river of confusion... And they take their harps. Now can you imagine them carrying these big harps through the desert? And they hang them up on these willow trees in the middle of this desert. What's he talking about there? What's the idea? You know what a willow looks like, don't you? We call them a weeping willow normally because they look sad. Right? They've just got the old branches all hanging down. And get the imagery here. What he's saying is here we sit and we hear this r- babbling of confusion of this river and that just reminds us of our tears. And we think about the peace we had and we don't have that peace anymore. And, and we just gave up. You know in the Old Testament, if you've read your Old Testament much, You're probably familiar with the idea that the harp was very much a symbol of worship. That's what they used in their worship. And David played the harp and it drove the confusing spirits away from Saul. It brought peace. And they said all of this peace and this this comfort and this confidence in God, this worship, they just gave it up. Because you see, they were used to relying on what they could see instead of relying on the invisible God. And what they see now is this water and these sad looking trees and they don't see any evidence of God and they're discouraged and they've turned that away. You know, worship is a critical, important thing in your life. And I want to say something to all of you about this. You know, worship is not just for God. You don't come to worship God, because God needs you to do something for Him. God doesn't need anything. God has everything. And there are people who will worship God whether you and I do or not. Worship has this huge benefit though, not just in our reverence to God, but to us individually, to us personally. You see, when I can come and I worship God and I get my mind and my heart off of my own problems, and I get to thinking about the Almighty God who is, and I say, we just sing hallelujah, praise Jehovah. What a great song. Do you like that? that idea? That God, Jehovah is great? And you sing that and you think about that, and you get your mind and your heart off your own problems and your own troubles, and you get to worshiping God, all of a sudden, things aren't so bad like they used to be. I can tell you that that there have been times I go to church and it's just like a banquet. It's like a feast. I just, oh, this is awesome. I'm ready. Let's go worship God. There are other times that I go to church and it's just like, you know, you got to eat. Right? you got to eat, so I'm going to go. There's other times it's like taking medicine, (laughs) isn't it? But there's never been a time that I went when I didn't feel like it and I wished I hadn't. Never been a time. It always lifts me up. It always encourages me. That's why I believe the Apostle Paul said this, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any praise, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Look at that list right there. Think about noble, pure, good, true, lovely. These are the things we think about when we worship, aren't they? When we come to worship God, this is what we think about. And Paul says that we as Christians need to do that. Notice he says meditate on these things. Think on these things. Put this in your mind. Why? Why should we do that? Well, he says do that because those who carried us away captive asked of us a song and plundered us in requested mirth saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. You see, when I do this, when I put my mind and my heart on the joys of God and worshiping Him, I'm not all caught up in the problems around me and looking at the babbling brook Of confusion. But I'm looking to God. You know, put yourself, as I said, in these people's place. You're sitting there and they say, we want you to sing us a song about Zion. Could you do that? Could you sing a song about the city that had just been destroyed? About the temple that was gone? About the God that you felt abandoned by right now? Not only did He say, sing us one of the songs, but He says this, they requested mirth. You know what that means? You know, uh, when Leland Fleming leads singing, you all know Leland, right? One of the things he'll say if you're not really singing is he'll say, Come on! Sing it like you mean it! Right? That's what these people said. They said, you sing us a song about Jerusalem. You sing us a song about your temple that we just destroyed. And you sing it like you mean it. I mean, you praise it and you tell how great it was and you sing it like you mean it. They're going, I can't, I can't do that. I don't feel that way. I can't sing that like I mean it. I mean, come on. I had a bad day. (laughs) You destroyed our temple. Think about you and I today. Do you ever come to church and you just can't? You just don't feel it? Sing it like you mean it. Well, you know, I just got up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. You ever get up on the wrong side of the bed? I got up on the wrong side of the bed, and I'm going to tell you what, I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like being here. In fact, you ought to just be happy I showed up. Because this is not a good day for me. The coffee didn't taste good this morning. And I am not happy. I don't feel like singing today. Someone says, you know what? I'm going to go see the doctor on Tuesday. And I'm going to get the results. And he may give me a death sentence. I am so worried, sick about that, I can't think about anything else. I do not feel like singing today. I ain't feeling it. Someone else says, you know what? I got all these little kids, and all I ever do, all day, every day, is Clean up, kids, and do dishes, and take care of the house, and I have no adult conversation. And by the time my husband comes home, oh, he doesn't feel like talking because he's been busy all day. and And I, I got up two hours before he did this morning to get us ready, and we just barely got to church. Don't talk to me about singing. I don't feel like singing. I'm a young man. And I've got an addiction. And it's the kind of addiction you don't talk about. You know, some people have addictions that everybody knows. But I've got an addiction you don't talk about. And there is no one at church I can talk to about this. And I try, and I keep failing, and I keep failing, and I keep failing. And I say, I'm never going to do it again. And I turn around and I do it again. and, And I'm failing. And I need help! And I can't get it! And I don't feel like singing today. I'm a young woman. Not me, but I'm in the story. And I thought He was the one I thought he was going to be my Prince Charming and that's why I made the compromises I did to keep him and he just used me and threw me away and now he says he just wants to be friends and I can't. And I don't feel like singing. I can't do it. I found out they're laying people off this week. And I may get my goodbye. And I don't know what I'm gonna I don't know how I'm gonna support my family. You know what? Gas prices are going back up. And I come to church and it's all I can do to take care of the family I've got. And then they stick a plate in front of my face and make me feel bad if I don't give money that I don't have. I don't feel like it. I'm old and it hurts every minute I'm not asleep, and I don't sleep much. It's hard, and I hurt all the time, and I know these seats are supposed to be more comfortable, but I tell you, after a few minutes, it hurts, and I can't hear, and I can't see what's up on the screen, What good is it? I don't get anything out of it. And then people, all the young people, everybody—they just all do their visiting and leave me sitting in the corner. And my kids, I raise four of them, and all four of them can't take care of me. And I hate all I ever do is go to doctors, 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 and I don't understand what they're saying is wrong with me. And I hate to ask my kids for help. I don't want to. Because I know it's a hassle on them. But i got to have the help. But when I ask, they make sure I know it's a nuisance. And I just... I can't sing today. I ain't feeling it. We could go on and on, couldn't we? But you get the point. You've been there. What do you do when they're requesting mirth, when we're here and we're supposed to praise God and sing hallelujah, praise Jehovah, and we don't have it? We don't have the ability. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How can we do that? I want to tell you that I believe you can do that. And I'm going to give you some things out of God's Word that will help you. Number one, you need to know that what is strange to you is not strange to God. This problem, this babbling, this confusion, at times God will allow you to go through situations today to prepare you for something that's coming tomorrow that you don't know what's coming. And you don't know why you're going through it today, but you will today, and you'll get through that, and then later you'll understand what was going on today. This is not strange to God. Think about Joseph. Do you remember Joseph in the Old Testament? His brothers were jealous of him. He'd had these dreams, and he was dad's favorite, and dad says, go check on him, and they go, oh, here comes that dreamer. You remember what they did? They said, let's kill him. And one of the brothers said, no, let's don't kill him. We can't kill him. Let's throw him in this pit. So they took him and they... They took his coat and they tore it and they put animal blood on it and they threw him in this pit by the road. Now, the pit they threw him in had to be by the road because that's the road these Midianite traders are coming down on their way to Jerusalem. And so when the Midianite traders get here, some of the brothers go, oh, hey, we can make some money off of this deal. Let's sell him as a slave. So they sell him as a slave to these Midianite traders that are going to Egypt. Now, they had to be going to Egypt and not somewhere else because there's a job opening down in Egypt. This guy named Potiphar, who is right-hand man to the king needs somebody to take care of his stuff. So they get down there and they sell him to Potiphar. Now they sell him to Potiphar and he has to go to Potiphar and not somebody else because Potiphar's married to old nasty Mrs. Potiphar. And she's going to want to do something with this young man that's not appropriate, not right. And she lies about him. She tries to seduce him. And he won't do it. And he runs out of the house. And when he ran out of the house, she grabbed his clothes. And he just ran from him and left his clothes there. Now that was his mistake. Not running. We'd all been in less trouble if we'd have run a few times, Right? His mistake was he left the evidence behind. Because you see, Potiphar's not going to throw his number one man in prison without some evidence. And now she's got evidence. She's got his clothes, and she said he tried to rape me. And he didn't. And so Potiphar believes him because of all the evidence believes her and throws him in prison. Now he goes in this prison, and two guys that work for the king get thrown in prison too there's the butler and the baker. And they both have dreams. And the baker's going to die. And the butler's going to be returned. Joseph interprets these dreams. And it has to be the butler, not the baker, that goes back. Because when he goes back, Joseph says, remember me. And he forgets about Joseph. But the king has a dream. And the baker wouldn't hear about the dream. He'd be off in the kitchen. But the butler's right there. And he hears about this dream. And he says, oh, well, there's this guy down in prison. And this guy in prison can tell you what the dream means. And he gets called out of prison. And he tells the king what the dream means. And you know the rest of the story, right? Whew. I'd say, "That's quite an imagination, isn't it? It's not an imagination. Everything I just told you is absolutely true. You see, God was in control of that whole deal. The whole thing that happened was under the control of the Almighty God. Now, you're Joseph, and you're sitting here, and you don't understand why this is happening. You don't know why your brothers hate you. You don't know why you're sold as a slave. You don't know why Mrs. Potiphar's doing what she's doing. You don't know why you're in prison, but God does. God knows, and God has a purpose. He has a reason. And finally, those brothers come when that famine hits, and they have to talk to Joseph. And Joseph finally tells them who he is. And do you remember, number one, their reaction was, oh no, we're going to die. Because we sold this guy and now he's the most powerful man in the world except Pharaoh. And he says, I'm not going to kill you. Do you remember what he told them? Look at this. Do not be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me here. Look at this. For God sent me before you to preserve life. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. See, this wasn't strange to God. He knew what was going on, he knew Pharaoh, he knew the butler. He knew Potiphar. He knew Mrs. Potiphar. He knew the brothers. This was not strange to God. When you're in a situation that you don't know how to handle, you don't know what's the right thing to do, you don't know what's up from down, when your life has been turned around, you can take comfort in the fact that the Almighty God knows. He's been there before you, He understands. Don't get confused and think you're at this by yourself. You're not. The Almighty God has a plan. And I don't know what that plan is. We can't see. Joseph couldn't see into the future. But once he got there, he said, You know what? (laughs) Guys, I know you were trying to sell me as a slave, but it wasn't you, it was God! God was behind this whole deal. And He was saving many, many lives by doing this praise. Hallelujah, praise Jehovah. Because that's true. Number two, you need to pay attention when you're in the storm to what's in you and not what's around you. There's a story in the book of uh, Mark, I believe it is. And Jesus tells the disciples, He said, let us cross over to the other side. Jesus has been teaching, and there's a crowd of people around. And Jesus tells His disciples, He said, come on, let's get in a boat. We're going to go to the other side of the sea. He says, let's cross over to the other side. And they get out in the water, and they're going across the water, and their phones start going off saying, tornado warning. (laughs) They get out in the water, and a storm comes up. And I mean, this is a serious storm. These guys were seasoned sailors. I mean, these guys were used to the water. And they were afraid. And they're fighting with the sea, and they're fighting with the storm. And they're afraid, we're going to die. We are out here in the middle of the water, and we are going to die. And somebody looks around, and they say, where is Jesus? Where is he right now? And he was down inside the boat sleeping. Just sleeping like a baby. Having a nice rest. And somebody goes down and they wake him up. And they say, Master, do you not care that we're perishing? We're going to die here. The thought did cross my mind last night to go wake up Monty. (laughs) Hey dude, did you know we got a situation they go to Jesus. And they say, Lord, do you, we're in the middle of a storm here. Do you remember the story? Jesus got up and he came to the deck and he looked out and he rebuked the storm and bang, just like that, it was like glass. I mean, the storm was gone. You know what their problem was? They were focused on what was around the boat instead of on what was in the boat. The problem is they didn't believe Jesus. In fact, Jesus rebukes them. He says, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Why would He say that? Because they, they didn't believe Him. Jesus didn't say, okay, let's get in the boat and go out in the middle of the water and die. That's not what he said. He said, let's cross over to the other side. But they forgot that Jesus said they were crossing to the other side. And they didn't believe that. They thought they were going to try to cross to the other side. We're going to die on the way. That's not what Jesus said. Oh, ye of little faith. And I want to tell you, when you're in the middle of a storm and the world is swirling around you, and your heart is broken and you don't know where to turn and you don't know what to do, you need to remember that He that's in you is greater than he that's in the world. He that's in you is greater. You need to look inside at Jesus Christ, who God promised would be with you, always, to the end of the world. No matter what happens in your life. Jesus Christ is there, He will always be there, and you can count on and depend on Him. You see, Jesus rebuked them because they didn't really believe in Him. And I think when we get in storms, I know at times in my life, when I get in the storm and I'm doing all I can to hold on, and I'm doing all I can to make it work out right, and I feel it slipping through my fingers, That's because I don't trust God. It's because I try to trust me. I try to figure that I can fix it instead of trusting God. Number three, sometimes you've just got to encourage your own self. You know, it's, it's sad, but it's true. Sometimes you've got to encourage yourself. Let me warn you, if you hang up your harp and you quit praising God, it will get ugly in your life. It will get empty in your life. You can't hang the harp on the willows. There's a story about King David in the Old Testament. And he, was, he had a band of men, about 600 of them, that were with him. And they were running from King Saul. They were running because he was trying to kill David who was going to be the next king. And they were hiding out in the wilderness. And while they were out there hiding, they fought the enemies of God on every Chance they got. Every turf there was, they fought the enemies of God. That's what they did. And David took his men, and they were fighting the enemies of God. But David got out-generaled in this battle. Because they lured him out, and he fought out there. And while he was out there, they brought people around behind. And they came to his home camp. And they destroyed the camp. And they took all of the wives and all of the children captive. Now David and his men have gone out and they're fighting. And they come back. The battle is over. And they are ready to cross this hill and they see smoke in the distance. And they get that feeling in the pit of their stomach. And they go running and they cross over the hill and they look down and their camp is gone. It's decimated. The tents are burned. The animals are gone. And all of the women and children are gone. What do you do? David and his men, you know what they did? David looked and he said, guys, let's go get them. And they said, yeah, let's go. No, that's not what they did. You know what these guys did? Every one of them, they turned and they looked at David and they said, you, you let us away from here and you left no one here to guard the camp and now all our wives and kids are gone. It's you, David. And now, all of a sudden, he's lost his wives and his kids. He's lost everything he has. And all of his men have turned on him. What did he do? You know, the Bible says he did. said, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. (laughs) You know what? Sometimes, the people you get comfort from, you may not be able to go to for comfort. You have somebody you lean on, Somebody you count on. Somebody you depend on for comfort, encouragement. Most of us do. Sometimes they may not be available to you. Sometimes they may be the reason you need comfort. You know, if it's your husband or your wife. Sometimes, sometimes that may be it. Sometimes you may be in a real spot and you grab that church directory and you call every name in that list and ain't none of them home. Nobody's answering the phone and you're by yourself. What do you do? You know what you do? You grab an extra Christian CD and you drive around the block a couple of more times and you praise God and you strengthen yourself in the Lord's what you do. Gave this lesson one place and after it was over, a man, older man in the church came up to me and he said, Michael, I want you to know that's true. I lived that. He said, there was a day in my life when I came home and I sat in the driveway because I didn't want to go into the fight. He said, it was bad. And he said, I remember the day when I came home and I walked through that door and my wife met me at the door and she said, I want a divorce. And he said, I didn't have anyone. And you know what I did? I just prayed and I sang And I got some extra Christian music. You may have to drive the long way home. And listen to your songs of praise. But you encourage yourself in the Lord. Because even though you feel like you're alone. You're not. You've always got the Lord. The last thing I want to tell you about this. Is good things come from bad situations you know we serve an amazing God a God who is able to take very terrible situations and make good situations out of them you've seen it in your life haven't you haven't you seen things that looked like they were terrible and in the end some good things came out of it like with Joseph or some of the other stories we've talked about you see, there's a value in going through bad situations. If you never go through anything hard, you'll never get strong. You'll never build up your spiritual muscle. You'll never be able to handle storms. You see, it's when things are bad that you learn to walk by faith and not by sight. It's when things are bad that you learn to trust God in the rough times. It's when things are bad that you learn to get up one more time than you got knocked down. It's when you... Face bad things that you learn in the end that truth really does win out. That's when you learn that weeping endures for a night, but joy is going to come in the morning. You learn all these things when it's bad. You learn when things are bad that you will reap if you don't faint. That's what you learn when things are bad. I can tell you about my own life. I do okay sometimes, but I really grow when things are bad. That's just the truth. I get strong, I get close to God, I quit having trouble remembering to pray and and all these things, and I get serious and I get real with God. <clears throat> when things are bad, that's when I begin to get strong and I begin to grow. You know, Abraham learned that on Mount Moriah when God said, Go sacrifice your boy. Whew, I can't, I can't fathom. Abraham learned that good things come from a bad situation. Moses learned that at the Red Sea when he was surrounded by the Egyptian army and had no escape and nowhere to go. He learned that good things come from bad situations. Joshua learned it at Jericho where just simply marching around the walls took the walls down. Daniel learned it in a lion's den. We could go on and on and on with these. Here's the truth. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. Not only good things will happen, but in the end, if you stay with God, you stick with Him, you're on the winning side, and it will turn out for good in the very end. If you will stay with Him, and you will be faithful to Him, and you will... Stand strong. You know, this verse is explained to us very much by the one that follows it. All things that work together for good to those who love the Lord. Do you know what the next verse says? Most of us can quote this one, right? Do you remember the next one? It says, For whom he did foreknow, them he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. You see, what happens to all of us is when we go through hard, difficult, challenging, painful things, when I go into that tunnel, if I go in with Jesus, and I do it His way, and I strengthen myself in Him, and I look at the one who's in me who's greater than the things around me, if I do this, and I faithfully stay with Him, when I come out the other end of that tunnel, and you will come out, you will pass through the valley of the shadow of death. When you come out the other end of that tunnel, you are going to look just a little bit more like Jesus than you did when you went in. And God says, that's good. Isn't that good? I mean, isn't that what we want? We want to be like Jesus. And to be like Jesus, you have to be a partaker in His suffering. You have to be a partaker in the things that He lived and dealt with throughout His life. So how can we sing this strange song in a foreign land? Well, it's very simple. Number one, realize what's strange to you is not strange to God. Number two, sing based on what is in you and not on what is happening around you. Number three, sometimes you've got to just encourage yourself in the Lord. And number four, remember that God, we serve a God who brings good things out of bad. I want to close with one last story out of the New Testament. This is a time, once again, with the Apostle Paul. He'd been arrested. Paul had been arrested for preaching the Gospel. I want you to know, I've preached a lot of places. I have never, ever been arrested for preaching the Gospel. Maybe that's because I haven't been bold enough, I don't know, but I've never been arrested. Paul was arrested for preaching the Gospel. Not only did they arrest him, they didn't read him his rights. They didn't put him in an air-conditioned cell with three squares. What they did is they beat him when they arrested him. They beat him with a whip. They beat him. And the guy he was with, Silas. So they arrested them for preaching, they beat them, and then they throw them in prison, and here they lay in prison. I want you to put yourself in that spot. What would you do? I mean, you preach the gospel, you're trying to serve God, and they arrest you, and they beat you, and they throw you in the jail, shackle you up. What would you do? You know what Paul and Silas did at midnight? The Bible says at midnight all the other prisoners heard them singing praises to God. You see, you can sing the song of Zion in a strange land. You can sing no matter what the situation or circumstance around you is. If you'll remember it's not strange to God, you will look at the one who's in you and not around you. You will strengthen yourself in the Lord and you will trust Him to bring good out of a bad situation. You can sing praises to God in the worst circumstance this world has ever, fa- ever known. I hope I've encouraged you this morning. Don't ever, ever hang your harp on the willows. Don't ever quit worshiping God. And when things are really hard and you don't feel like it, just get yourself up and get down to church anyway and praise Him. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Trust in Him.